Jarvis in close shot, there's a goal! Seth Jarvis, the 17-year-old, short side, glove side, high, just under the crossbar. I'm Cross Hannes, and you're listening to the Puckland Hit Podcast. Cutting to the front of the net, and they score. Reese Newkirk along the right wing just took the pass. That was phenomenal patience from Seth Jarvis and the winner. This is Nick Chichek, and you're listening to the Pucklandia Podcast. Hey, this is Reese Newkirk, and you're listening to the Pucklandia Podcast. Hi, I'm Joel Holt of the Portland Warehouse, and you're listening to Pucklandia Podcast. Welcome into Pucklandia. Uh, we have a, a special edition tonight, uh, previewing the uh, Kamloops Blazers and Portland Winterhawks series in round two. Uh, and as always, Pucklandia is brought to you by Cartside, which is just north of the Glass Palace there. It's a uh, cart pod with uh, a little cantina there that uh, Pucklandia listeners get happy hour beer pricing before the games, which is nice. It's a, it's a you know... It's a kind of a sweet little setup there for those that like to get down to the rink a little early and and and, uh, and have a beverage before going over to the rink. But uh, anyway, pleased to be joined by Colton Davies with uh, Daily Faceoff, and also pinch hitting tonight would be uh, my WHO unfiltered co-host Sean Mullen. Hey. So I don't know where where where, where do you guys want to start with this? You know, what's your kind of your your Colton, your your broad brush, you know, overview of uh, the Blazers and, and and how they fared against the Vancouver Giants. Uh, yeah, they, that was a that was a fun series. Um, obviously quick for them and quick for quick for Portland too on their end. But I thought they looked good. Um, there's a couple of discrepancies. Uh, their power play is not the best at the moment. I mean, they're number seven with twenty seven percent, and then their penalty kill is thirteenth and league wide with seventy percent. So there was a couple of little discrepancies there, but not much to complain about considering they had a, I think it was 24 goals for and five goals against in that time. Yeah, they, uh, I didn't get to see much of the first two games, but it doesn't sound like I, I missed the whole hell of a lot as far as the, <laughs> uh, you know, the Giants didn't seem like, uh, like they had much to say about the, the outcome of those, those first two games in, in a sad man. Yeah, I I went to both those games. Um, I mean, that first game was just a it was a scene. Uh, I mean, the Blazers just ran that whole that whole game, and and it basically that set the the tone for the series. I think as soon as they had that eight nothing win, it, it was just kind of game on. I mean, that second game Ernst was unbelievable until around the third period when he let in one goal. Um, I mean, that entire series, he was 1.16 GAA with a 0.946 save percentage and two shutouts. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. Um, and, and everybody just showed up. And they did that whole first round, too, without Fraser Minton, which is kind of remarkable. He's a big component to that team. I mean, you, you mentioned the, the goalie and, and giving him some accolades. I mean, you know, we talked we've talked plenty about uh Olin Zellweger you know in the and the minutes he was playing for the silver tips and you know I don't know what the ice time was in the, in world juniors but he was certainly out there every every opportunity for 
for Dennis Williamson in that series. I mean, how much or that tournament rather? How how much you think you know the the Blazers D you know starting with with Zellweger is is keeping you know m- making uh, making it easy for for Ernst Bechter? Uh. I think I think it makes things uh, very easy for him because there, there's a lot of reliability there with Zellweger, and he's such a good quarterback for a defenseman that he, you know, he's like a another forward out there essentially. You've got four forwards basically out there, and his defense partner, which it kind of rotates sometimes between Logan Barros and uh, uh, Ethan Brandwood, but. I mean, Zellweger is plus 10 in his plus minus right now. He's one of the top players in the WHL playoffs right now with that. And 29 shots as well. So, I mean, he's he, he's incredible. You guys have seen him, obviously, down in his days in Everett. But he, he certainly makes it easy for Ernst, I think. And, you know, when he's out there, I think Ernst has a lot of um, confidence in him. You know, he can play the puck, and he knows that Zellweger will be there to get it. And... Uh, it's truly remarkable to watch him play every night. So, looking back at that series, only the one game was was really close, and it was already a three nothing series. And sometimes you'll see that that game four, where the team that's on their way out puts up a little more fight, and the team that's way ahead doesn't maybe quite have the same pushback um, in those games because there's not much desperation for them. But uh, did you see anything? In those games, a recipe from Vancouver when they had positive swings of momentum, when they had some good moments, where there was an answer for what you know Kamloops brings, or you know, was there any sign of that? If you were Portland coming out of that series, is there anything you would take into this matchup and say, well, here's where Vancouver had success that we could replicate? Uh, you know, Vancouver had success on the power play. And they they were good with that. So I think, you know, with the the Blazers penalty kill kind of being a bit of an issue at the moment, that's really where I think Portland can take over because Portland has the number one power play in the playoffs right now at 36%. And they're definitely a team that's going to take advantage of that. I also think that the Giants, um, if you go back into the season, the Blazers had a really tough game against Medicine Hat. And that was a game that I think a lot of people kind of scratch their heads at. But Medicine Hat is so physical that the Blazers just weren't prepared for that. And the Giants started to play really physical in that fourth game. And I think that's kind of where it got a little bit uneasy for the Blazers. There, you know, there was nothing to lose for the Giants, essentially. Um, So for Portland, if they can play physical and they can play that shutdown style of hockey and then capitalize on the power play, I think they've got a pretty good recipe there. I'm not, I'm not sure that, Playing physical is really Portland's forte. That's not. I don't yeah. think that's. I mean, I I feel like they 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 have. I will say that game five against um, against Everett was was more physical than I think I'd seen them play all year, and mm-hmm. that was kind of. I mean, that was just kind of the 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 tango of the of of the dance. I mean, they were b- both teams were were taking the body at, at every effort at that point. And that maybe 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 to Sean's point, a series that had been, you know, somewhat lopsided, although Everett had won a game at that point. But, you yeah. know, as far as an elimination game, but, you know, I, I suppose, I mean, they, they could maybe take a little bit of that. And especially, you know, recency bias being the game they, they just played, maybe they can take a little bit of that physicality and, and, and try to try to apply it, you know, try to run Camloops out of the building a little bit. Yeah, and, and, and you're totally right about that, Chad. And, like, 
I think like to look even back at the season series between the Blazers and the Winterhawks, the Winterhawks had the better of them. I think it was three to one in the four game series. But in the very first game of the ser- of the season, um, the Blazers lost three nothing in their home opener to Portland, and then two weeks later lost five four in a shootout. So there there is that little edge to Portland when it comes to the offensive um, realm of things. But at the same time, the Blazers. At, with their home opener, we're without a handful of players as well. Um, so I'm really excited to see how this is going to play out. Uh, I, I will admit that I am bummed out about Chaz Lucius because he, he was certainly somebody that uh, was a treat to watch when he uh, made his brief appearance here in Kamloops. Yeah, yeah, that would uh, definitely, you know, tip the, the scales a little bit more in, in, in Portland's favor. And, it, you know, they, uh yeah. But you know, but the 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 three, you know, but the the and the three of those games obviously against the Blazers were pre-deadline, and so yeah, you know that's a different animal. I mean, I've been thinking a lot over the last you know week or or whatever. I mean, we we talked about it, you know, in our uh, on our Western preview with Steve Ewan. Uh, subscribe to your local paper, everybody. Um, you know about how we didn't think that the Blazers did enough at the deadline and. They just kind of took off like a like a rocket. Well, maybe not like a rocket. They probably don't want that comparison. I, 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 I'm gonna put my. Whoa! I don't know what happened there, but I'm gonna put my name out there saying I didn't think at the time, but nevertheless, I I didn't know as much about the conference, but I I always felt like what they did to construct their roster was a little under uh, underappreciated because some of the pieces weren't there yet, you know. So it felt like some of the splashes other teams made maybe felt a little bigger uh, initially, but you know, like their their big move with Edmonton wasn't reflected until very late in the season. So yeah, that that's that's totally true. And and I mean, Demick has six six assists now here in the playoffs, so he's starting to really fit in. Um, but I mean, I do agree. We we talked about this too, and like it was a bit underwhelming. Um, it's just in the sense that you would expect a Memorial Cup team to kind of bolster up a little bit more. But, I mean, it is really paying off for them. Uh, Hofer leads, I mean, leads the team in goals. He's on a he's on a four-game streak right now. Uh, yeah, you can't really knock what they did n- now that everything's starting to play out here in motion. But sure feels like Zellweger is probably the most important acquisition any team's made. Yes, and we'll see whether you know how that matches up with Seattle. Seattle probably did more in in pure numbers, but is there a single player uh, that's changed the game more than he has? And you know, you're talking a guy who's going to eat, uh, you know, if he has to, thirty minutes a game, score points like a top forward, plus minus like a an MVP defenseman, like do yeah. little everything i think there's nobody that's made a bigger difference single-handedly than he has no i I agree with that he like 50 points in 35 games i think i I can get fact-checked on that but it was something ludicrous like that and from the moment he stepped in here um it was mind-blowing like I, i have talked to a couple people um like just fans who have been around this team since the Scott Niedermeyer days. And they said like, it's another Niedermeyer. Like they have not seen a defenseman this good or even better since then. It's crazy. Like he's easily and arguably the best defenseman in all of um, the CHL right now. 
just because you asked me to, uh, 52 points <laughs> in 32 games. Oh, it was close. And a, and a plus 35. So, I mean, whatever's, yeah. co- whatever's coming on the power play, I mean, he's keeping the, he's keeping the puck out of the net at, 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 at uh, even strength too. I mean, that's, I mean, considering he was a, a, a dash five in, in, in his time in Everett, <laughs> that's, you know, I mean, a remarkable, you know, difference in, uh, yeah. and won a hundred percent of his draws too, while I'm at it. So. Oh, that was well, that was an Everett. Never mind. Here, here's another uh, for you: is that he had 210 shots on net in 32 games. That's crazy. That's obscene. He shoots that. He shoots that thing like no other, though. Like, like watching him go up and just try and like take on three Giants players at once and then go all the way in behind Vikeman and grab the puck and then go back out to the blue line to get another shot. It it's kind of insane that you're watching junior hockey. But think about it just from an average. Yeah. That's six and a half shots a game from one player. That's what some teams get in a period. <laughs> yep. He's had 29 shots on net in four playoff games so far, too. Yeah, uh, which is a little off his pace, maybe. <laughs> We're pretty close <laughs> to it. But to, to your point, Sean, I was listening to a podcast the other day that uh, I think it was uh, Jeff Merrick's show with uh, when he has Greg Wachinski on, and and they were talking about uh, Bobby Orr had something like 400 some shots in like a year, and they thought that was a lot. You know, Jeez. like, and that, so the different era and obviously Bobby Orr's, you know, a little different player than Owen Zellerger, but like that would, that would project out to about that in a year. And that we were like, wow, that's a big number, you know, thinking that was crazy. And then like, you know, like Ray Bork, you know, in Boston days, like that kind of thing. That's, that is, that is a really interesting, uh, interesting stat you brought up there, Sean. Well, and there's only two players that had over 300, uh, this season and it was Zellerger and Bedard. And Bedard had him by 15 shots, but he had two extra games. So that, that gives you an idea how much he directs the puck towards the net. And and come playoff time, I mean, that's, you know, exceptionally valuable because of how many goals are scored in that area. Yeah, the, absolutely. Otherwise, curious, I mean, yes, you can to some degree throw out the three wins that Portland had against Kamloops because they were, you know, before November 19th. So everything after that, the Kamloops is a dramatically changed team, but it does kind of remind you at the same time, because as much as they've made big additions, they were still very good in the fall. It does Mm -hmm. remind you how good Portland was then. And part of our conversation on the Western preview before the playoffs was don't sleep on Portland. If they can start to find their game, and be a little bit more like they were in the first half. You know, the guy they lost was a player they hadn't had then anyway. Yep. So why why can't they be an equivalent team to the one that had the success they had in the fall? And if you're Portland, as much as it is a different Kamloops team, and you're trying to remind yourselves who you are, say, hey, you just, you know, won your series in five against an Everett team that doesn't go down easy. You beat them three times in the fall. You know, from a belief standpoint... There should be an element of that in their room to, to remind themselves. You know, th- there's no reason you should come into this series and feel like you're looking up at the giant. Uh, yeah, and like to quickly add on to that too, like they know they know Zellweger. Like a lot of these guys have played against him. I'm sure they understand how to shut him down a little bit more. 
and th- that definitely takes, uh, I think, an effect there for them. Well, and 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 we're we're falling in the same trap as everybody else that talks about the Blazers and and that trade and Olin Zellweger is is we've completely forgot about the guy that's leading the Blazers in scoring yeah. in goal scoring right now in uh, uh in, in Hofer who's you know I always want to call him Joel for some reason but you know <laughs> and, and so it's I mean and that was it wasn't a throw-in because you know there was definitely more more assets required to uh to acquire a you know a, a really special t- uh you know 20 year old and a you know the right kind of overager for a, a hosting team, but I mean yeah. that's a I mean that was a huge part of that deal. It it really was. I mean, thirty two points in thirty games for him, seventeen goals leads the team right now in goals. Um, he got his contract, his ELC signed while he was here. Uh, he's had a wild ride since he's arrived here in Kamloops, and I mean, all the best to him. I, I actually had a chat with him a couple weeks ago for a daily faceoff piece I'm working on about both the Hopers. Um, and their Memorial Cup experience. And uh, he, talking to his brother, Joel, I mean, he's so proud of Ryan. And it's it's so cool to see the connection that they have. And just Ryan, you know, he even described himself in a sense as like a meat and potatoes type of player. But he knows he has those offensive um, intangibles to get to get things done and get himself in front of the net. And he said, like, here in Kamloops, it's, they've really just allowed him to play his style of game and do what he wants to do. And he's really... I think opening eyes to a lot of people, and I don't know why it should have taken this. I mean, yeah, you you look at he had a very good nineteen year old year, and then in the playoffs, where we we often try to say, hey, let's see what the guy does when the games really count. He got six games in with Everett last year, and all he did was put up six four ten in those six games, and he follows that up in the first round with Camus this year with five more goals. It's 11 goals in 10 playoff games so far. It says he can handle that pretty good. It's nice to be 6'3 and almost 200 pounds when you're playing a playoff-style battle, right? Yeah. The like the line that they have right now of him, uh, Dale and Kiefer, and Jakob Demick, I mean, that's a line that's all over 6'2", 6'3", and 200 pounds other than Hofer. Um, but, I mean, those three guys, four check and just play so hard, I, I, yeah, I couldn't imagine playing against those three. Well, but, but that's the thing, you know, about Ryan Hofer and, and really kind of finding his own, you know, once he escaped Everett. I mean, it maybe escapes too harsh of a word, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, it seems like the, the ghost of Kevin Constantine still haunts that, that, those walls, you know, and <laughs> he, had good, he had good numbers there though. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you look at, you know, I mean, Nikita Sherbeck and, you know, they brought him over and then, and then didn't let him you know, run free and, and, and find his, his own game. And, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you look at, you know, the, you know, the, the various guys that they've, you know, they, it seems like, you know, they don't let their horses run. And, and I don't want to paint Dennis Williams with that brush because he is not Constantine, but it's sometimes it just seems like they weren't it or not. I mean, they have that, that kind of feeling about it and it's just hard to, hard to escape. And, and I feel like this, you know, the way the Hofer season went for him, like, it's I don't know it, it plays into that at least at least in my head. I think maybe you know perspective or, or um, broader view of a player that they hear they're from Everett they may not think of them as offensively gifted but his actual counting numbers are no different. I mean he had thirty six points in thirty games with Everett thirty two and thirty with Kamloops. It's just mm-hmm. that you're you know playing on a on a team that's struggling 
and not getting that much attention and and is not known for their offense. So you kind of maybe fade to the background a little bit. But and so he's he's able to make more of a name for himself where he's playing now. But uh, you know, the emergence has been the last two years. And when you look at both of these guys, you know, both brothers, nobody really talked about a whole bunch until they emerged when they did. You know, Joel was not highly touted necessarily coming into Swift Current when he did, and then all of a sudden he became what he became uh, and is now starting games in the NHL. Yeah, I was going to say, look where he is now. Ryan never got drafted in the Bantam draft. I remember he, I think he skated at Bronco camp one year, um, you know, went to Pursuit of Excellence, never had huge, huge numbers uh, until his last year, I think, of U18. Or, yeah, his last year of U18, he put up some pretty decent numbers, but nothing that jumps off the page. His numbers his first year junior were just so-so. You know, he just found it at 19 and 20, which is which is saying a lot about somebody's mental toughness because if you haven't really gotten anywhere special, been noticed, you know, um, pushed your way into a feature role by 19 and that's when you do it, that's somebody who has a lot of resilience mentally. Yeah, and I think I think a big part about that trade and, and the other the others, you know, lesser moves that the that the Blazers made and again, you know, we've we've touched on, you know, at the time people weren't sure, but you know, and I it, 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 certainly they're not the 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 2013 Saskatoon Blades, but it's a comparison and that they're hosting, everybody knows they got to they got to add and that team was the Island of Misfit Toys, and they never really gelled and and found found a rhythm. Whereas this Blazers team really became more of the the sum uh, greater than the sum of the parts, and that that was the thing that we didn't know how that was going to go, and and it, it couldn't have went better really as far as you know. Again, the 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 results they had, you know, putting up you know nine ten game win streaks down down the stretch there. I mean. Kind of Colton, what what did you see about you know that chemistry and how and how valuable that has been to this to this Blazers club? Yeah, it, it the, the the chemistry like it, it's actually it goes down like all through the lines I think too because you've got you've got Stankoven up there up top with Bank here with Semenov, um, then you've got that line with Kiefler and Hofer and uh, Demick like I was saying, and then their bottom six kind of just fluctuates, but everybody's just chipping in and like the chemistry that Hofer and Zellweger have provided on like the front end, the back end power play penalty kill has been outstanding. Um, it's really, you know, Zellweger's really, I think opened the doors for a lot of players to just, you know, cause he gets those, like we were talking about, he gets those shots on net and a lot of players are just net front now, a little more ready for him and they're able to bang in the quick rebounds. Um, it's, yeah, the chemistry there is very potent. And I think, like, the one thing that the Blazers have really been trying to, like, to talk about over, like, the last few weeks here is they're not focused on, like, the Memorial Cup. Like, these guys are focused on one round at a time. And everybody seems to think that they just, you know, their mindset is Memorial Cup. But it's not. They were focused on Vancouver. They dealt with the Giants. Now they turn their eyes towards Portland and they'll go through it game by game. And if they can keep the chemistry up that they've had throughout the last half of the season since the deadline, uh, there's not a lot that's going to stop them, in my opinion. Um, 
But Portland is definitely a team that could uh, just could stop them dead in their tracks. It's it's kind of weird because like we've, you know, playoffs, anything can happen. And we've seen that season series between these two. And I think that that could like like you said, Sean, like Portland could have that mentality in their locker room that like, hey, we know how these guys play and we know how to deal with them. Well, yeah, I mean, and you start talking about it, both of you. You know, comparing them to some other teams that have been in this position, yeah, they made key additions, but eight of their top ten scorers were there all season. Yes. Were Blazers already, and seven of them had over sixty points, and that compares. Now you know you have to mention with Seattle, and we're not talking about that matchup yet. They have guys like Lambert and Gunther who you know haven't played that many games, or or Doc. But mm-hmm. that compares well to Seattle, who had to add a lot of those guys. You know, it's it's better than any other team. The amount of scoring they have, the scoring depth they had, that just was there already. And so a little more seamless, I would imagine, mm-hmm. and from a chemistry standpoint, that the guys they had added to what they already had going rather than having to accommodate them and completely change for them. Yeah, and that's definitely that's a very good point. Sure, but the I mean, there's 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 actually a lot of a lot of parallel, you know, I don't want to call them talking points, but a lot of, a lot of parallel you know concepts here between these clubs. I mean, to to your point, Sean. I mean, the Winterhawks don't have a player on the roster that has played a game for another another club in in their careers and the only guy they've acquired via trade was Budazoni who's a, who's a 16 and mm-hmm. had not signed when he when they brought him in so they are even when they added uh, Lucius he was a draft pick of theirs they they are they're 100% uh cultivated by the you know themselves and and uh that's a weird phrasing you guys know what i mean and and, yeah. and so yeah, they they and again the guy they added lasted six games, so mm-hmm. they have that same chemistry from the start. It's a really interesting matchup in that regard. We talk about how the first three times they saw the Blazers, they didn't see this edition of the Blazers, but it was sure as hell this edition of the Winterhawks. And you know, and so yeah, they they have they have that in their back pocket too. But but you talk about they know how the Camus plays. Well, I mean, the Blazers have a mole. You know, I mean, you know, some some would argue that they hired Don Hay specifically to have dirt on the on the Portland Winterhawks in case this matchup <laughs> came up, right? Uh, you could argue that for sure. <laughs> I'm all for it. But yeah, but on, on, I mean, to be serious about it, I mean, and, and again, right back to to my point of of these Winterhawks are they were they were all in the system one way or the other last year and the year before. Under Don Hay, you know, he's, he's seen at a minimum, he's seen these guys in training camp. He's worked mm-hmm. with them. I mean, it, you know, probably, you know, whatever, whatever they do with the, the summer is, is to keep in touch. But, and so, I mean, they, you know, no, almost nobody knows this, this Winterhawks team as well as Don Hay does. That's true. That That's, that's a good point. And, you know, this, this Winterhawks team too, is like, they're good. Like, I, I think that's like I'm not trying to like wash them under the bridge or anything. Like there's a lot of players on that team that really impressed me this year. Like Gabe Klassen, Robbie from Delorme, Luca Cagnani. I mean Cagnani is 
like if he doesn't go in the first round this year, I'm actually going to be kind of shocked because he resembles a lot of what Zellweger was in his draft year. I mean, he is shifty. He shoots a lot of pucks. And, man, can that guy just speed down the ice. Um, but, like, Gabe Klassen, 35 goals, back-to-back 30-goal years for him. James Stefan's been really solid this year. He's got three power play goals in the playoffs. Uh, he's one of the top power play goal uh, leaders among in the league. You got a rookie in Josh Zagreski, if I even pronounce that right, who has four points, and he's third among WHL rookies. And then Jan Spooner has been solid in net. Well, let me bring that up, too, because... I think there was a real narrative about Portland in the second half of the season because their record fell off. Um, and I don't want to pick on anyone, and I haven't watched. I mean, Chad, you've watched, but it, it sure felt like uh, Giannuzzi really fell off in the second half of the season. What, he lost nine straight games to close out the regular season? And so he, he had to turn the net over. And since he has, when you look at the record, you know, it's and even if you look back to the regular season, when you look at their record with Spooner starting and how he's played in the playoffs, he's been getting better. So it's not that you can wash away the results of that second half that was a little messy, but mm-hmm. goaltending is such an important position yep. that if your starting goalie starts to slip, it can affect every other aspect of your game. And if they're building confidence in Spooner now, who had a great first round, and that's helped them get back overall to playing the confident way they played earlier in the year, you know that becomes a team that's a whole lot more similar to the fall than they were to the spring. Yeah, I mean, goaltending in this town is is always a conversation. I mean, we're it's a very difficult place to play in that regard that the fan base is is always always on you it um it reminds me of like the the 90s in, in in philadelphia when they would bring in these new you know sean burke one year and, and you know some of these some of these you know hextall back a number of times whatever they did there and, and it's like it's never it never seems like it's good enough i mean we had a guy a guy a few years ago that set the record for playoff wins you know in in league history and like you know he he, he was never good enough, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, when they went, when they had that rough stretch, you know, and, and, and you, Colton, you touched on this a little bit already, but uh, without realizing it, but, <laughs> you know, they were, man, yeah, there was, there was some goals against and, and, and from a distance, but man, they were giving up juicy rebounds in the slot and the defensemen weren't clearing them out. And there were, you know, guys were getting wide open and shooting lanes. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of that. I will say it did push Giannuzzi to just in the body language of trying to do too much. You know, I mean, this is a guy down the stretch that that had a shutout and lost in the same game. You know, <laughs> and so you, I mean, literally, and you you see him. You know, it, he likes to play the puck in any way, and then like it just seemed like he, they weren't giving him a lot of help, and it's like you know, to hell with it, I'll do it myself, and like that then takes you out of takes you out of your ideal situation. Mm-hmm. But and they did like the platoon and 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 that's and that's fine and they played both guys all year and then and yeah and, and the the I mean the numbers you know here in the first round have 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 looked really, you know, looked really good for for Spoonar and you know, I suspect listeners of the show are more of a fan of the of of the team than any particular player, but 
it's it's a little controversial around town too that you know the people like Giannuzzi he's a fifth year player you know people people know his folks like you know they've been coming to town for all these years like you know and so it's a lot of people are a little disappointed that you know he hasn't got his opportunity but man he's been he's been you know the the, the body language on the bench you know with the, the the flybys with you know guys when the guys score when they when they scored in overtime he was the, the first guy over to, to Spoonar to you know for goalie hugs I mean it was you know but you know I mean it's a it's a business and and we're in the wins business and and if that guy's giving you more of a chance to win according to, to Mike Johnson then that's what we're going to do. But I, and I think if, you know, if, if something does, you know, if Spoonar does kind of stumble and this Camus Blazers are going to give him the opportunity to do so, then I think they feel pretty comfortable with going, going to, uh, to Giannuzzi. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to argue aside from, you know, whatever happened in game four, it, it's, it's hard to argue the, uh, the results they've been getting from, from Spoonar. Well, 10 of his last 12 starts, he's had a 900 save percentage or better, um, which is, you know, quite strong and typically even, you know, substantially better than that. He's had a couple shutouts. He's, his performance is improving. Uh, and you can get a young goalie that gets hot come playoff time. How many times have we seen that really pay off? And it's, you know, it's no shot on Giannuzzi. Sometimes you just hit a rut. And he happened to hit a rut where, you know, again, nine straight losses towards the end of the year. So that really adds to the perception of how Portland was playing, but it, it wasn't that kind of result with Spooner. And now they've won a series with him. So, you know, it, it, it's not to say Giannuzzi couldn't step in now and it would be a different story, but that switch. And we've seen it so many times in the playoffs when a team makes that swap to a different netminder and often a young guy and he takes off with it, you know, that turns into a pretty magical run every once in a while. Well, even, you know, five games into this, this playoff run, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the smart betters weren't putting money on Portland to win the Memorial Cup or necessarily the league or mm-hmm. necessarily get past, you know, either Kamloops or Seattle or, you know, they got to play them both most likely if they are to get past Kamloops. So if you, you, you take all that, what what is what are you trying to get out of the year and – you know, uh, Gene Uzi's an overage. You know, his his career with Portland will be done here sometime in the next month or two. And, you know, the Spoonar, if he's the goalie of the future, I mean, you've got him a you've you've invested a ton in, you know this this experience. You know, we talk all the time on this show about playoff experience and how hard it is to get and maintain in this league and you know, whatever whatever happens in this in this Kamloops series, you know, good or bad, I mean, it's going to be advantageous for your goalie of the future in Spoonar. And I wonder, I wonder if that was, you know, kind of factored into the decision to, uh, you know, to, to the, the future is now kind of a thing. Which makes sense, I guess. I mean, like in the last few years, um, like in Kamloops, like. Dylan Garand really just took over the net and nobody really saw a lot of what Dylan Ernst could do. And then this year, Dylan, you know, Ernst gets that starting position and he just takes off and he's been so solid all year and so good throughout the playoffs. Um, They pick up Matthew keeper as their backup, which my, I mean, he's, he's good for what they need, 
but I was kind of, you know, I thought maybe a 20 year old or a 19 year old uh, with a little more experience would have been a better fallback position because that's exactly what you just nailed on was Portland has that option now. Like if Spoonar does all of a sudden flake out, they've got a 20 year old goaltender who's got a ton of experience in the league that they can now just fall back on. And he's been and he's proven before that he is good. Yeah, they they did they didn't make the change to Spooner because they had to. They made the change because yeah. they wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's you know it's 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 a luxury they had really. Yeah, and I think that's like a big. It's a it's very important for the playoffs to be able to have that be able to have that tandem that you can really rely upon in case your starting goaltender just doesn't figure it out in one series. Well, and and for my money, you know, a couple of other factors that really played into that that stretch that they had where they just couldn't couldn't get out of their own way. I mean, you you've, you you mentioned Colton about you know Josh Shakresky and, and and how well he's been playing and putting up points. And there was a lot of nights when that third line was their best line, yeah. which is great, you know, for a, yeah. you know if your third line's playing well. But if your third line is consistently game in game out, your best line, well, that you're not going to win games that way. You're you know Barry Melrose would tell you your best players have to be your best players. You know, and and they Absolutely. and they weren't getting that. And you look at you look at what happened in this in this uh, you know this Everett series. Well, all of a sudden, you know the, the those guns you know came alive again, and you know the guys that you're expecting to score for Portland did did just that. And I mean, they had they they have 17 guys with points, including Jan Spoonar. You know, and so at that point, you have it. You know, you, if you're dressing 16 skaters, they all have points in that in that five game series, and so you're you're kind of it's in a lot of ways it's the best of both worlds that you're getting the depth, but you're also, you know, your 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 uh, your best guys are showing up and, and and you know contributing you know in a big way. I have to ask, you know, and speak about the the home record because I think that's a really interesting number. Given the struggles Portland did have late in the season, they still finished 25, 4, 3, and 2 on home ice and a plus 41 with 55 points, which equals Kamloops's home record of 55 points. They were 26, 5, 3, and 0. Um, their plus was a little better. But it, it says to me that even during those hard times, and I think Portland has kind of you know turned the page on that to some degree, they still made their home ice a very difficult place to play. So as, as much as Kamloops may be picked as the favorite, and they are a good road team as well, it's going to be tough to get those games in Portland. So if you're the Winterhawks, if you can find a way to get one of those first two games, you really put the pressure back on Kamloops knowing how strong Portland is at home. I mean, again, tied for the second-best home record in the conference and actually third best in the league. Yeah. They've, we've been getting pretty decent crowds, you know, as, as time goes on. I mean, you know, obviously you could fit, you know, the Sandman center almost twice over in, in, in our building, you know, on a, on, on a good night. It'll be interesting to see what they do, you know, with the two, or actually it's a, it's a Wednesday, Thursday schedule i'm not sure i've ever been to a whl game on a thursday before it'll be that'll be new for me but um it's such a weird schedule yeah well there's there's uh I, I haven't looked it up but there's something there's something in the in the building well i guess it's tonight oh 
or not tonight, sense, but yeah. a week from tonight. But yeah, there's building availability. It's, it's not as goofy as it was in the Everett series, but um, and that was in Everett's barn. But yeah, so it's it's you know, it, it has been a really stark contrast though it, it, over the year. To your point, Sean, with the the difference in the way that they've played on the road versus at home, it's it's never it's never been that big of a difference. I mean. You know, when, when Portland was on top, you know, 2013, 2014, you know, that era, you know, they, I mean, that 2013 team set a set a road wins record that, you know, probably isn't ever going to be broken with two less road games now. But, you know, they were always better on the road, it seemed like. But it's been kind of a stark contrast this year. I don't really know what factors into that. They don't seem that interested in, in line matchups. I mean, you know, we've talked on, on Pucklandia a number of times about – Seeing you know sixteen year old rookie Budazoni going up against Bedard you know on a fairly regular basis in in uh, in Regina that night although not they couldn't control the lineup there or the matchups there but they haven't really ever been that interested interested in the in, in line matchups it doesn't seem like so I don't know why that discrepancy is I mean just you know the the uh, you know, we talk we talk on these shows a lot about you know the uh, the, the enthusiasm and, and how rowdy the American crowds get. Maybe maybe that means yeah. something. I don't I don't know, but you know that's uh, but yeah, and that you know, and as far as at home ice, I mean, you know, there's only a there's only an odd game if it gets all the way to seven. Other than that, I mean, you know, you don't. You, it's not like you get extra games necessarily unless it goes the distance. That's that's true. That's definitely true. I think you you both made very good points too. Like if if Portland can close out one of these games here this coming weekend, um, I think that they will definitely put the Blazers into a chokehold and 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 freak them out. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting. I mean, it's you know, it, it, the the year has been such a you know roller coaster for for this Portland team, where it's been a kind of a steady climb for the, for the Blazers. It's, it's just kind of depending on what, you know, what month of the season, if you said, you know, yeah, we expect to, you know, this is, this is a matchup we expect to see. And I think you'd have a different, completely different views on it. You know, if you asked in, you know, November, December, January, February, I mean, it's good. You're going to get a completely different answer every time. And that's, that's, it's a really unique situation that i just can't really think of a of, of a parallel to a precedent to no me neither and and like one thing too to like look at and like it probably like scares people when they look at Camus's roster is like the nine uh nhl drafted players which set up uh, what is it seven of them are signed already i think it's just demick and keefler that haven't signed their entry-level contracts and then you look at portland and they've got the the three nhl rights holders with Ryan McCleary with the pens, but he hasn't signed yet. And then Merrick Alsher, who signed with the Florida Panthers last month. And then obviously Chaz Luchas, um, you know, the NHL experience and that type of draft experience, I think, you know, plays a bit of an effect uh, in a sense, but you know, there's a saying that you can have too many, uh, too many chefs in the kitchen. And uh, I wonder if we see that with Kamloops or Seattle. Yeah, there's only only one puck on the ice at, at any given time, <laughs> exactly. right? I mean, that's yeah. that's that's the thing with Seattle, and they kept loading up. I mean, part of me thinks they're just banking on, well, somebody's going to get hurt, so we just have extra guys. I think it's kind of the way they. I mean, you got to you got to admire the uh, you know the poker game up there with Bill LaForge, but whereas it seemed, oh, yeah, you know, whereas uh, is a little more a little more reserved with with the Blazers as far as trying to push, you know, just hard enough, but yep. 
But yeah, you mentioned you know uh, uh, McCleary, and 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 he doesn't get his name in the paper that much, you know either. But I mean, you know, the Swift Current product there. I mean, he's I mean he's really well rounded. I mean, you think you know I I don't I don't know if it's just with me, but it seems like he gets a reputation for you know being more of a stay at home guy, but. Man, he's really developed under under Mike Johnson. As far as you know, he loves they you know the Winter Hawks. They have that reputation for forever now. They love the defenseman getting up in the play, and he's yeah. not afraid to do that. And yeah, I think uh, you know I, I feel like there's a pro deal in, in in the works, you know, for him or or, or probably should be. I mean, you know, it's kind of really really well. I, I know I already said well rounded, but I mean that's you know the really for my money the best description of him and. You know, and you also mentioned, you know, Cagnoni in his draft mm-hmm. year. And, yeah, I think that's a very valuable piece. And, you know, what's funny is I don't I, I don't know if you see very often two draft-eligible defensemen that are both similar players and both really good as a pairing. But, you know, I mean, that's that, that helps with, you know, Carter Southern as far as, you know, the, the, the scouts come for Cagnoni and, and stay for Southern and – and yep. I, th- I think I think he's going to be a really valuable piece on on an NHL team down the in, in a few years too. I, I I like Carter Southern. I was I've watched a bit of his game tape. He's a he's a fun player to watch. Um, and and Ryan McCleary too. Like he hasn't even had like a bad like career. Like he had thirty points. I mean, in the COVID year uh, or whatever you want to call it, the bubble year, he had seven points in eighteen games, which is I mean a small sample size, but that's not bad. And then thirty points last year, thirty one points this year. Um, I, I like him. I think there's definitely a, uh, an ELC coming up for him for sure. Pittsburgh, I mean, they're depleted in the prospect system. They need people. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, um, that just a couple weeks ago, I broadcasted a uh, Ryan McCleary game, but not what you'd expect. He was a part of a team here in Swift Current that went, um, the double A U18 team, uh, that at the time uh, called the Swift Current AA Broncos, and and they went undefeated in their regular season and their playoffs all the way until the provincial final when they lost their first game of the best of three provincial final and then won the next two. The third game was actually at the Broncos rink, now the, the uh, Innovation Credit Union place, oh, yeah. or Innovation place. And in front of 2,000 plus fans with the big screen and the music and everything. So I just was contracted to go and put retroactively play by play over that game. And so certainly you can see how he's evolved as a player. But he on that team as a young man was so key in a leadership role on the ice every second shift, playing in every situation and such a calm presence. You talk about him being well rounded, Chad. I mean, he did a little bit of everything and the puck seemed to follow him and the play seemed to follow him. And he, he kept his composure in every situation, you know, just one of those guys that you're, you feel safe and confident with when he's on the ice. Maybe he can do a little more sometimes and maybe he sits back sometimes a little more, but that you feel comfortable with when he's out there. And, uh, and it, it was a huge factor in a, in a team that was unprecedented at that level to win every single game regular season and playoffs but one at the end man i really wondered where you were going with that story sean i was like what do you mean you called a junior <laughs> 18 game with this kid in it like the other day i'm like oh, what do you 
Were they were they just pissed at the other guy that did it and wanted to erase him off of there? Or no, what? they they didn't have a, they didn't have play by play of it. I think there was a radio broadcast. There may have been, um, but we didn't have it uh, saved. But I I came in and they had video of it because the game was on the big screen that day because they brought in the Broncos even brought in their tech people to to make it a real show because the Broncos were out of the playoffs that year. It was eighteen nineteen. And so I got contracted to come in and put some play-by-play on it after the fact, just to add to the video as the kids sort of, and parents take a look at it again, you know, in the years to come, because it was such a memorable team. But McCleary, despite his age at the time, was a huge part of that team and played in every situation. You could see why he was going to be a player that, you know, became an NHL drafted player and was counted on big minutes at the next level. Yeah, it's you know it's 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 funny. It's is his it, to watch his evolution, you know, game by game here over the last couple of years, and you know to it's it's like if you created a defenseman in a, in a in a in a lab, you know, you're like, okay, take care of your own end. Okay, once you get that done, now we're gonna let you rush the puck a little bit. Okay, now we're gonna let you rush the puck a little bit more. You know, but it's like, you know, kids want to score. That's, you know, where the, the, the glory is. So it's usually you got to, you know, they're trying to fly the zone and you got to like dial them back and try to like, you know, you know, it's it's the whole like offense being creativity and, and defense being structure. You know, yep. it's like, but he started with the, the, the vegetables before he got to the to the sweets. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, no, take more candy. It's okay. You know, it's just kind of a, it's just been, it, at least at least from my seats, that's what it looks like. And the interesting thing, too, a lot of times you get those um, sons of pros. Yeah. And you get a feel for them like, oh, you know, um, they expect too much or there's a feel like they got handed some opportunities and, and with him, um, you know, his dad was a guy who wasn't supposed to be there, earned his way there, earned every second of ice he had, and then had his career taken away by an injury to some degree. Um, and, you know, would have been an example to him of, Hey, you know, if you're going to get there, you got to put the work in at all levels. And he was a fifth round Bantam pick and he's a seventh round NHL pick. So he may have an NHL last name, but he's not a guy that's going to coast on it because his dad yeah. couldn't and he can't. And so you've seen him t- make those progressions and put the work in every year. Trent was on that 89 Broncos club, right? 93. 93. They just had, they just had the celebration of them. Actually, they brought him back to their, uh, 30-year reunion. I knew I knew it was one of them championship teams. I just I just got it mixed up a little bit. Yeah, he and you know, he was really good. He he's the president of the board now here in Swift, but um you know, he, he was a 50 50 point guy that year. You know. He was a tough player, wasn't he? Well, if I remember correctly. He's and he played hard. He played yeah. in every situation. He killed penalties. You know, he got he got hurt in serious injury was when he was blocking a shot and he got hit in the throat. Because he's a, one of those guys who went out there and blocked him, right? You know, so right. his son, his son would have would have known from him, not that hey, oh great, the NHL, that's that's where you know, that's where you get, that's that's what's coming. It would be, I had to earn every second. So if you're gonna make it, you're gonna have to do the same. Yeah, I like that lunch lunch classic lunch pail Saskatchewan kid, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know. Well. 
gentlemen, I think we've we've talked about a lot of different things. Uh, Colton, you have any other uh, topics you want to touch on about these about these two clubs before we wrap up on this? Uh, just one player on the Blazers I wanted to give some love to because he's been re- absolutely insane since the trade deadline, essentially. But Emmett Finney. And just like Finney had six points last year in 48 games. This year he had 35 points in 64 games. And he's currently on a 14-game point streak going back to the regular season with seven goals, 14 assists, and 21 points in that frame if you count the playoffs. Um, This is a kid who was a fourth-round WHL Bantam pick who was just all of a sudden, whatever it was, the new year hit. It was kind of around like the World Juniors. um, And he just found his game. And he has been one of the best bottom six players for the Blazers and consistently. Uh, he's always down there scoring and forechecking. Uh, I had a text uh, message with a WHL scout uh, who told me that, and I quote, he's really improved in the second half of the season. Like if you put the tape side by side, you wouldn't even be able to tell it's the same player. Um, he's been very good. And we just talked about depth a little bit there. And, uh, you know, he's a player that's out there, uh, like, just not a Stankoven, not a Zellweger, not a Hofer, a Minton, a Bankier, any of those guys. But he's really going to get himself noticed, I think. Like, you got to think the scouts are all there to watch all these players. But this kid is really making a name for himself. I wanted to touch on, quickly if we could, um, what I think is a really interesting coaching matchup. And you said... Yes. Um, you talked about Don Hay, and, and certainly he adds an element to it because he's coached in both places. He's worked with both coaches, worked with both teams. But for Sean Clouston, uh, who's had a wonderful run as a Western Hockey League head coach and as a manager now as well, this is a big test yep. against a guy who's done it all, right? Um, now, technically speaking, doesn't get credit for the championship because he wasn't the coach at the time. It was Travis Green, but made the finals, what, four other times or three other times? Um, and they haven't got back in a while. Uh, but for Sean Clouston, you know, all the regular season success he's had, the furthest he's made is that third round, right? Yep. He won a championship as an associate coach, but he's made the third round, the semifinal three times. Won a bunch of first-round series. So in this matchup, while he should probably have the better horses, you're going up against a guy who's, you know, guided four teams that have made the championship. So it, you know, has that experience in these situations. And I think it makes for a really interesting playoff matchup behind the bench and a real testing ground, I think, for, you know, Cluson to prove that as great as he's been, can he take the team that's ready and take them over the top to the next level? I think, yeah, that, I really like that. That's it's a good little storyline to think about. And like you talked about, like with Don Hay being there, I mean, the all-time winningest coach. I mean, overseeing it all. Um, you know, he's worked with both of those guys to think he molded, or you didn't mold Mike Johnson by any means. Mike Johnson created himself, but just to think that he's had a hand in both of those um, organizations and uh, now he gets to kind of just sit back and watch it from a, a little different perspective, being an associate coach this time around. Um, but this is Clouston's time to shine and you're, you're definitely right. I think this will be where he can really make uh, a mark for himself and take his name as a coach to the next level. If he can 
move past this Portland team and, you know, potentially move past Seattle and move forward. Well, and it's, it's, it's totally apples and oranges, but I'm going to make a comparison anyway. I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, going up against Mike Johnson, who's, you know, definitely a veteran in this league and, and obviously had success. And even if, mm-hmm. you know, even if those those four runs of the finals are you know some a, a, almost a decade ago now, but I mean he asked Richard Mafichuk in the on the 2017 you know PG Cougars who they you know won the division. There was the one eight matchup and 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 he couldn't figure out how to solve Johnson that year and and the the Cougars are just now recovering from that. And so yeah. you know I mean this is a you know, Campbell's team an entirely different boat. I mean, they've won around. They're they're playing in 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 May, no matter what happens. But I mean, they wouldn't he wouldn't be the first the first guy to 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 go up against MJ and and, and fail. I mean, they played nineteen playoff series in in a five year span. There, you know, I mean, they they have the you know, it's a very and it's a very veteran staff too. I mean, you know, Kyle Gustafson been in town here for twenty years aside from the time he was running the Vancouver Canucks power play. And then you have, you know, um, Brian Pellerin, who's also been in the league 20 years, and, and this is his second stint here in Portland. So, I mean, they have a, you know, it, I, I, you could probably add them both up, and they still don't have Don Hayes' experience. But, yeah. you know, I mean, the, 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 the newest guy on that bench is 20 years in this league. You know, well, I mean, and, it's, you know, go ahead, Sean. And for the other side of it, you know, as much as it's a proving ground for Sean Clouston, who's shown he can be as good a regular season coach as there is in the league. He's only had one losing season in all the time that he's run a team. Um, has proven he can get as far as Final Four. So, you know, matching up against a coach that's been to the dance and trying to take it, pat, you know, beat him, uh, out, outthink him, out, you know, out game plan him, that's, that's one thing. The other side of it for Johnston is – his reputation, as you said, was really made 10 years ago. And since he's been back from Pittsburgh, they've had good years, but they haven't got past the second round yet. So that's got to be swirling in his mind a little bit. And, you know, the, the locals a little bit going, okay, he's still really good. But is he still as, as good as the best? Because, you know, we've been stuck first or second round here since 2016. So... Yeah, it it's an important step for Portland too. Even if they're not necessarily expected to get there, if they're still going to count themselves as among the elite, one of these years you have to go on a run, don't you? Yeah, I suspect listeners of this show are probably nodding their head wherever you know, walking their dog or mowing their lawn or whatever, working. You know, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's been a thing. There's been you know a ton of regular season success, and then you know you bring in Dennis Chalosky, and that doesn't get you anywhere, and you know, I mean, there's and and in some well, and that's the thing too is like you look at, you know, those earlier teams. I mean, they trade for Seth Jones's rights. They, you know, they they made these splashy moves. You know, they brought in Matt Dumba. I will never forget that slap shot as long as I live. And <laughs> you know, and then and then now they're they're you know homegrown and have been homegrown and and haven't made, you know, aside from you know flirting with Ozzy Weisblatt. I mean, they they haven't made those those moves, and so it's kind of. It's been a different animal. I mean, you know, it's it's you know, Sean, we we talk about you know the, the Mark Lamb era in, in Swift Current. Sometimes it's in some ways it's closer to that than it was the uh, 
you know the the the, the riverboat gambler that we saw you know early in, early in in MJ's career. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting to think about, you know, maybe. Well, maybe maybe it's a man. It was a Manny Viveros model that if I can, you know, win a bunch of games and 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 move up, and versus you know I'm not I'm probably not going back to the Penguins, you know, or, or I'm I'm just gonna coach at this level and and be content with it. And so now you're you're thinking maybe more long term. I, I I don't know. It's it's but it's been an interesting evolution. And you know, I mean, we talk about the 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 ghosts of of Constantine. I mean, I think sometimes we think this is still. You know, early, early WHL Mike Johnson, and, and he's kind of evolved into a little bit of a different, a different GM anyway. I mean, they like to play the same way on the ice with whoever the whatever horses they have. But you know, I think sometimes around you know league circles, we we haven't really seen the you know, picked up on the evolution of uh, of, of MJ as, as a team builder. But I think people take for granted they see the Winterhawks, they see Mike Johnson behind the bench. They see that they're in the mix all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, Portland's right there. And they are, but still, it's been a long time since they've been in the semifinal or the final. And when you don't get there, then you kind of become an also-ran instead of a powerhouse, right? Mm-hmm. You know, at some point, if you want to still be a team that's that's seen that way, you have to prove that you can get there. You have to beat the best. So you know, there should be a little bit of an itch or motivation, I would imagine, among that group to say, you know, people are already talking about Seattle and Kamloops. They're already handicapping that series. They're already talking about how they can't wait. Yeah. We have to show that we belong in that mix. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I really think like to throw it back a little bit, like 10 years. Um, if you remember the 2011, 2012, uh, second round matchup between the winter Hawks and blazers, uh, it went to seven games. And in that sixth game, the Blazers won seven to six, if I remember correctly, in overtime. And I was there because I remember how crazy the game was. The Blazers came back and then won. They went to game seven down in Portland and lost two nothing uh, in, in game seven. I really think that we are going to have shades of 2011, 2012. These two teams, you know, the more we talk, the more they seem to align and match up. Goaltendings really is going to be where I think is going to be the crucial part. And I'm. I don't count Portland out one bit. I can see six, seven games easily for this. And to be honest, I don't even have a winner. I could throw my bias out, but I. I don't even know. And if it does go six, seven, yeah. And if Seattle is able to, um, you know, who knows? Because Prince George is playing great hockey down the stretch and into the playoffs. Yeah. And their their weapons are terrific. But I thought. I thought Prince George was going to force Game Seven, honestly. Or sorry, Tri City was going to force Game Seven, and I thought we were going to have a Game Seven between those two. But Prince George has been good. That series will be fun. But if Seattle does what's expected and say wins that in four or five, and then Portland pushes Camelot a little further, that could have an impact in the conference final for sure. Yep. Right. I, I had to duck out a second and you know, you were talking about that twenty thirteen series and, and, and it came to mind I had to I had to find the uh the player to attribute the quote to, but that was the that was the year Chase Soto said that yeah, they oh, were yeah. gonna they were gonna they're gonna come I quote quote, I think we're gonna go into their barn, cause a ruck and shut their fans up. A bunch <laughs> of losers down there just gonna give it our all. 
Oh God, I remember Soto. What a guy. The uh, uh, in the I world? went to high school with him. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Yeah, um, yeah. So like you know that they obviously ate their words on that. Um, but you know, I really you can't count this Portland team out. And anybody that is, give your head a shake. This is a team that's going to really test the Blazers. Blazers didn't have a test against Vancouver. I said that in game one. I texted a friend and said, oh, this they're going to sweep this team. I was, There's no way Vancouver can keep up. And they, they didn't until game four. You're so saying the, that everybody has a plan until they get hit in the mouth? Basically, yeah. Dead on. <laughs> I, I think that's worth talking about for both uh, the Western Conference series, really. Because yeah. I think... Seattle and Kamloops, as much as they were having success in the second half of the season, they were both also kind of on cruise control for a while. And then they could be in cruise control in the first round to some degree. And, you know, PG had to scratch and claw through that six-game set. Portland had an easier time with Everett, but they've been through adversity the last couple months. So, again, that makes the first game, I think, even more important, which is an old cliché. But you're dealing with a couple of teams that are more battle tested, and a te- you know if they can get the jump and be a little more desperate early, those other teams might not. You know, Seattle, Kamloops haven't been in that position lately, so we'll see how they respond. Yeah, and that's you know I don't know if this fits fits this where this part of the conversation, but that's a, 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 a thing I've thought about a lot that I haven't really expressed you know online or or via this format but i think that was part of what happened to portland down the stretch too that you know once they got in the funk and lost you know three four in a row and Kamloops and seattle were both really hot at that same time so you know you're digging you know four point holes every night and mm-hmm. they were locked into that three hole for you know a month out so they kind of didn't have a lot to play for which certainly didn't help them get out of that funk and so you know, once once game one starts and you're playing for real in, in, against Everett in that case, well, now you now you definitely have something to play for, and all of a sudden it was like flipping a switch. And, you know, to to your point, Sean, yeah, that those other top two teams in, in the West haven't had meaningful games. There's nobody been chasing them in either either division. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of a – it's just – it's just a, a, a theory I'm working on as far as part of what happened to, to Portland. Once once they couldn't catch, you know, Seattle, then well, then we're just kind of here. You know what I mean? It was it was a weird it was a weird stretch down the down to the, the season there. But I guess we had we had talked about uh, some time ago. I mean, we've made it we've made an hour and we haven't talked about Logan Stankoven. Maybe we should do that real quick. I mean. <laughs> You know, yeah. the best player on yeah. that club. And, and, and how cool is that to be from Kamloops, play yes. play for the Blazers, play in your, you know, the, the Memorial Cup and the World Juniors all in the same year. I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, he goes on to, I don't know, be prime minister or something. I mean, I, hopefully his life doesn't peak at this point, but it's, <laughs> it's getting pretty good, you know? It is. And, you know, it's funny. I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and we kind of laughed about how uh, – he, he had 97 points this year and it was almost underwhelming. Like he didn't hit the hundred point mark and you kind of almost expected it, but 97 points in 48 games or 49 games, like, Holy smokes. Um, you know, he's, he's just leading the charge here too. Uh, watching him and Zellweger together is hilarious. It, it's just 
two offensive gurus just going at it. Um, but what a what a time for him. And like you touched on, I mean, to be able to be the captain of your hometown team that you grew up watching, there was no other team that you wanted to go and play for other than the Blazers. Then you get the chance near the end of your career to host the Memorial Cup, something that you grew up in this town hearing about constantly because nobody stops talking about that 95 Memorial Cup team here. It's, I mean, it must be a dream come true. And he's he's NHL next year. In my opinion, he's playing top nine minutes immediately with the Stars. There's, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't that's see a lot jump. of players clearing. That's a big jump. I know, I know, but I really think that's what he's going to do. I think he can really just take that next step. He he might need a little bit of time in Texas within the AHL, but I really have a feeling he can put himself in the position where he's playing, you know, in the top nine or just in that kind of third line zone next year with Dallas. I'm always curious too, with the Memorial cup teams, you, know, you, you mentioned his production being not quite where it was. I mean, points per game, it's actually probably a tick improved. Oh yeah. His goal, his goal total, um, maybe a hair down, but it's not like a huge leap ahead. Like we often see at this age, but he's already done that. He's already proven that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and you already know you're going to be Memorial Cup host. There's an element with hosts all the time, and maybe a little more evident the first half of the season with Kamloops, where it's a little hard to get that desperation and motivation at other times in the year because you know where you're going to end up. So I'm curious to see what they're going to be like when they get pushed, you know, because they weren't really in the first round, and Portland should push them here. And they, they know they're going to be there at the end of the dance right yeah so how how desperate can they get you know are they able to motivate themselves as much as the teams that must win to have a chance to get there i think in that position yet no and you're right and like it kind of goes back to what i kind of said at the beginning i guess um i'll repeat myself but like they're really just focused on round by round like I know that like in having conversations with a couple of them, they understand that they're hosting the Memorial Cup, but they're not thinking about it. You know, they want to do this the way that it should be done, where you win the league and you earn the right to go and play for it. Because it's just like, I don't know what it is. And in my mind, maybe it's just like a, they think they'd be doing a disrespect to the past Blazers teams or the past teams that have gone on and won the league. And then even the year that they posted it in 95, they won the league. So I think there's just a lot for them to kind of live up to, which is why they're just taking it game by game here. And Portland's going to be the push, and I'm very excited for this series. I love it. Well, um, with that, um, you know, we, we, we find your, your work on uh, Daily Faceoff, right? Yeah, correct. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, and uh, we'll just uh, appreciate your time, and we'll we'll be looking forward to seeing how this series goes. Absolutely, anytime, guys. And since this is a slightly different audience, Chad, I will uh, throw a, a plug out to hnlive.ca for people who are interested in following prospects or you know other other levels of hockey. Uh, I work with them in a streaming capacity. We do a lot of sports around North America, especially Western Canada, but. If you want to check out some of the future and just a streaming resource for for sports, I do some work there at hnlive.ca. 
the the lineup you guys have over there, I'm just like, you know, talk about the, you know, having 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 20 years experience with your 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 on the bench or whatever. I mean, that's kind of it's always amazing me like you and Pete and whoever else you guys have over there. I'm like, that's crazy that they get you guys to call those games. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's been a blast working with Peter. I mean, Peter Labardi is an encyclopedia of hockey, especially junior hockey. So, all right. Well, with that, um, like I said, we appreciate uh, well both of you guys' time. I should should left Sean out there, but uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, stay tuned. <laughs>